You can think of mindfulness practice as a process of layering in that we're layering, deepening more subtle layers of our experience, deepening the awareness of. So we started on Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever day it was, the first day we were gathering our attention. Simple focus. Arriving. And then yesterday we expanded to cultivate a sense of embodiment, to permeate our whole physical experience with attention, with awareness. So not just the breath, body, sensations, and all the various movements, internal energy, sensation, touch, pressure, etc., first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of body. We also layered into that the awareness of the feeling tone, the pleasantness and unpleasantness, which, as I talked about last night, is the basis for uh, reactivity, for the ways that we spin out of just being with what is. We start reacting. Today we layer another important element of our experience. Third foundation of mindfulness. Mindfulness of what's known as citta, C-I-T-T-A, which literally means heart-mind. So our moods, mind states, emotional experience. So the emotional realm of our experience that's also primarily felt and known in the body. Right? So we're not leaving that embodied practice to then suddenly be become aware of emotions or, or leaving the breath. Right? We stay very grounded, inhabited in our body. But we're also bringing more awareness to feelings, emotions, moods, states of mind that come and go, like rain, like storms sometimes, like mist sometimes, very subtle. Both being present to them and also being present to our relationship to them how are we engaging with, how are we responding or reacting to, how are we identifying with or rejecting or making a story about. Emotions like our thoughts are very, um, we take them very much to be who we are, closely identify with them.
And in awareness, we see there's just another layer of experience coming and going. Just like sound, just like breath, sensations, the whole dance coming and going, as it were, in awareness. And we intend to hold that whatever's happening in our heart, in our body, with kind, curious attention. So Rumi's poem, The Guest House, is a lovely metaphor for how we uh, hold our experience. Where he says, every morning is a new arrival, a joy, a meanness, some unexpected visitor comes. Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. He says, welcome and entertain them all even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. They may be clearing you out for some new delight. The joy, the shame, the malice. Welcome and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. So, can we welcome and invite our experience? We don't necessarily need to, you know, have a party with them, but, you know, just simply be present to the feeling, the physical sense, how they move in us, how they filter our perception. When we're sad, we look at our experience a certain way. When we're happy, life looks a certain way. Seeing the impermanent nature of them, Okay, so let's sit together. Beginning as always with grounding, centering attention here, mindfulness of the body. Finding a posture where you can sit with ease, uprightness, relaxation, and the sense of dignity in the pose. You're taking your seat in the middle of whatever comes. And as you take your seat this morning, just like in every meditation, first just noticing what's here. And here we are sitting on a deliciously rainy, California morning. It's a rare experience. So just noticing how you feel, the sounds of the rain, the moisture in the air, the happy plants and trees all around, thirsty. What's the quality of the heart as you sit? So it's important to know where we start from in the meditation. Calm or agitated, happy, sad, bored or curious. Pouring awareness into the body, permeating 
felt sense of sitting, contact with the ground, touching of the hands and the knees, and the legs and buttocks. And you may call forth an intention for your practice to be present, to be kind, or curious, or welcoming, or to release the fascination with thinking. Sitting and aware of sitting. Aware of the posture. Aware of the felt sense of the body. And the energetic quality of the body this morning. Awake, alive, tired, still. the breath, it's the quality of the breath this morning. Can you bring that beginner's mind as if for the first time, each breath distinct from the last? intentional about where you place your attention. Is it to some discrete place to the breath, in the breath, or some general sense of the body sitting? including in awareness, awareness of sounds as they appear and disappear. Noticing how sounds arise, naturally call the attention, and are known quite effortlessly. Staying with the raw sound itself, or vibration, rather than lost in thinking about the source of the sound.
but enjoying the supportiveness of sound bringing us into the present. And when the sounds no longer draw the attention, we can resume awareness of the body, breath, As we're sitting this morning and today, from time to time, noticing, being curious of the emotional quality or tone of your experience. Often, there's not a lot of emotion in this sitting. It's quiet, not much stimulation. But even in that more subtle state, we can refine our attention. This is clarity, or stillness, or ease, or well-being. Openness, or receptivity. When it seems like there's nothing going on, See if you can refine the attention to be more accurate about what actually is happening. Other times, stronger emotions arise, triggered by thought, by memory, by another sensation or stimuli. When emotion feelings arise, can we feel them in the body? Where do we know anger? Where do we feel sadness? Where is joy or happiness felt in your body? In an expansion, in a lightness, or a constriction in the throat or the belly. So right now, just see what emotion is present and if you can feel its physical correlate in the body, however subtle. be helpful to name the emotion. Oh, sadness. Anxiety is like this. Peace is like this. Irritation is like this. And continuing to bring awareness close to that experience. Noticing it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral feeling tone. It's pleasant noticing how we like it, 
want it, want to hold on to it, want it to grow. It's unpleasant noticing how we recoil or resist or judge or hate. If it's neutral, we notice how we don't give it much attention. We may notice what causes emotions to arise and what allows them to pass away. how we identify with emotion. This is my emotion. I am angry. I am sad. I am happy. Versus just seeing it as another phenomena coming and going, just like all the other phenomena, sounds, sensations. No need to fix it or analyze it or get rid of it. Simply welcome and allow experience to be here. Resting in this radiant awareness, this knowing quality of attention. no particular emotion calling attention, you can resume awareness of body and breath. You also want to be curious about any states of mind, like the hindrances I talked about last night, wanting mind, grasping, resistant, aversive mind, restlessness, dullness, doubting mind state. So noticing when these are present, how they affect our experience, impact how we relate to this moment. You can feel how that feels in the body, how longing feels, our irritation. The more we can meet and hold that with awareness, the more we can find spaciousness and freedom with it. Aversion is like this. Doubt is like this. Wanting is like this. Seeing how that too is impersonal, 
impermanent and satisfactory. And whenever unclear where to pay attention, simply resume awareness of breath, awareness of body.
Where is your attention in this moment? How are you meeting this experience? What emotion or state of mind is here? Can you sense and feel that in your body? with a kind attention. Can we see how emotions trigger thoughts, thoughts stimulate emotions, understanding that mind-heart connection? If you find your mind obsessing about a conversation or a subject, see if you can shift your attention from the thinking to feeling. What emotion may be present that's fueling the thoughts? Naming and meeting that emotional quality Noticing if you can receive and welcome the emotion or there's a contraction and resistance or an agenda of wanting it to go away.
in the last couple of minutes of the sitting, letting everything go and beginning again, this moment, this body and breath, this heart and emotion, this sound. Noticing if there's a leaning forward desire to end the meditation. There's a poem called Trough. There is a trough in waves, a low spot where horizon disappears and only sky and water are our company. There we lose our way unless we rest knowing the wave will bring us up to its crest again. There we may drown if we let fear hold us in its grip and shake us side to side and leave us flailing and torn. But if we rest there in this trough, in the silence being in the low part of the wave, feeling our energy and noticing the shapes of things, the flow, then time alone will bring us to another place where we can see horizon, see land again, regain our sense of where we are and where we need to swim. So that poem is speaking to the waves of our emotional life, right? We go through all kinds of different waves, in the course of a single sitting, we might start feeling very peaceful and calm. And then we remember some conversation that was really painful and we get all stirred up and irritated and that falls away. And then we hear the sound of the rain and we realize, oh, it hasn't rained in California for five months and, and all the plant life is so happy and I feel so much joy for nature. So we feel joy and that passes away and then we feel calm again and and we get bored and a little sleepy, and then we wake up and the bell goes, and then we're happy the meditation's ended. <laughs> right? It's like waves, right? And that's life. So we can't stop the waves. We can, ride to, we can learn to ride the waves with awareness, with kindness. So any questions this morning about your meditation, sitting, walking, being on retreat, anything that's coming up? or anything from the talks. Yes. Yeah. So how do we distinguish between reaction and response? 
in the gray area in between. Um, yeah, sometimes it's hard to know. And sometimes we do both. You know, it's you rarely ever one or the other. There's usually some flavor. Um, just because we're responding doesn't mean to say there's not fire and passion and intensity. Right? It's hard to tell from the outside sometimes what looks like reactivity and what looks like passion. Um, so, but we can sort of feel it inside. We can usually feel this some kind of contraction, rigidity, brittleness in our reactivity. There's some heat, there's some there's a stance, there's an opposition, there's a there's some prickliness to it. Responding is uh, generally has more sort of a fluid, a kind of a yes to it, and a um, it's a little and it's a little freer. It's not quite as tight, um, you know. But there's a, there's a lot of gray area in the middle. We just have to sort of pay attention, and you know, usually when we're reacting. Uh, uh, which means, means on some level we're triggered, which means we're on, you know, the, the you know, sort of the fight-flight circuitry is triggered. Right? So when, when that's triggered, we don't think so clearly. Slightly blinkered vision, um, usually a little more opposition, a little more attachment to our point of view. Um, but it's, so it's really, a, it's, again, it's just part of our own self-awareness to just discern what's, what's, you know, just to be honest about where we're triggered and, and to be, and again, it's not like we don't respond when we're triggered, but when we do respond when we're triggered, we're not acting as clearly as we can when we're untriggered. Yes, Mark. You talked last night about our relationship to the market and consumption, mm-hmm. bright, shiny things. Mm-hmm. And it's ephemerality. I'm just wondering, what if, and I'm sure we all have the bright, shiny things that actually give us joy and pleasure. Mm-hmm. How do you serve that? Yeah. Well, if the bright, shiny things give you pleasure, then you enjoy them. Because <laughs> why not? There's lots of bright, shiny things. Give us pleasure. You know, I like bowls. I like bowls that have a really nice ring. Right? That gives me pleasure. Right? I have a collection of singing bowls. Yeah? Why not? It's, you know, beautiful thing. Human artistry. Aesthetic. Right? Art. Right? You're an artist at heart, at least I know. Um, you know, so art, beauty, music. Um, you know, home. Right? There's... Of course, we live in this in a sensory world, and there's much to enjoy and and appreciate, and you know, just like you know, these lampshades, right? There's a lot of thoughtfulness goes into some of the design at Spirit Rock. Mostly, it's very simple, very minimal, but there's also you know, it's like have a lampshade. Why not make it beautiful if we can? You know, because as human beings, we like aesthetics, you know, art and. Um, so the and also all of that's fine. So that that quote I said about from Tilopa, it's not the outer things that bind us, right? It's not the bowl that binds us. But if I, like, this is my bowl, <laughs> no one can ring it, <laughs> right? Mine's better than yours, right? Or I'm going to buy all the bowls up for myself, right? 
Right, you see the difference. Right, right. So yes, so so, the, so we're looking at the stickiness, right? You, you know, so maybe you buy a beautiful new car, right? We're you know fine to enjoy cars and appreciate the aesthetics and the performance and all that. But what happens when someone scratches it, <laughs> right? Or gets dirty, right? Or it doesn't work quite optimally, or um, your wife's driving the car and you know something happens, you know, <laughs> right? Then it's, it's not just, oh, it's, I love cars and I appreciate them. It's like, it's my car and damn it, don't you mess with it, right? So the attachment creates a painful relationship to the object, right? Fear, right? We buy nice shiny things. We don't want them to tarnish. We don't want them to deteriorate. They do because that's the nature of things. So the more that we're attached, the more we'll suffer in relationship to it at some point. Um, even... even even if nothing happens to it, just the very fact that you're attached to the car being as it is, there's going to be fear. Because we know that nothing stays as it is. So it's going to change. So there's a slight level of fear. More attachment, more fear. More guardedness, more territoriality, um, and a whole host of other things. So yeah, so we're just looking at how am I relating to, my, to the physical world? You know, um, As I say, it's fine to enjoy things, of course. We have that capacity. You know, the world is to be enjoyed. It's a beautiful world. It's both the natural world and the world that we create. Right? And can we relate to that with spaciousness, not grab? Right? Can we enjoy the things? And if they go, they go. You know, if they come, fantastic. When they're here, we enjoy them, but we're not miserable when we don't have them. That's the freedom. And, but it's a very fine line between enjoying and nobody touch my bowl. <laughs> Get your fingerprints off. <laughs> right. is, it was, is that speaking to, yeah. yeah. So, so we just pay attention, you know. Some things we can, there may be some beautiful things that we have, that, and, and we can, and, but there's some lightness around it. And there's other things like, that's mine. And it's better than yours. <laughs> and I'm going to keep it to myself. You know, and we just say, oh, that's really tight. That, and that's painful. Right? So, and so there's the attachment to what we have, and then there's the grasping for what we don't have. All the shiny objects we want, and we, we're demanding that we get. And there are many things that we can't have for whatever reason. You know? And so what's our relationship to that? Yeah. So it's really interesting to explore, you know, including something simple as food. You know, what's our relationship to it? enjoying the food versus I gotta have it and I gotta, you know, pile it on. I gotta stick more in the fridge and freeze it and get the recipe and you know, right? Is there you know? It's, it's, well, that's fine, but it's it's what's the mind state in involved in it, right? And so we're just going, oh, that's painful. Can I relax? Can I enjoy this beautiful sound and beautiful bell and not feel like, oh, I've got to run to the bookstore and buy one right now? Because, you know, just, oh, it's beautiful. I might get one, I might not. <laughs> okay. Yes. So yesterday, with the story of your friend that drove, uh, bike or went, drove five miles to get the Walked. Walked. <laughs> <laughs> Very important part of the story. <laughs> Yeah, two months, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he 
I mean, sometimes when I think of like reactivity, I think of something like instantly, right? Like this obviously, and that uh, like happens to me a lot. So, like you have this story like for, I don't know, a week, two months, like five miles. How do you manage to break that story or realize, okay, this two weeks I have been like manipulated by my own mind or yeah, because of the strength of the desiring mind, it's very powerful. It's very powerful when we want something and our mind is convinced, I need this, I want this, I have to have this to be happy. People do crazy things. Right? That's a very mild example. Right? People kill each other because they want something so bad. Right? They'll cause a lot of pain and suffering for many people. Right? Look at, you know, political leaders. You know, look at Syria. Right? That attachment to power, right, has caused the death of hundreds of thousands of people. That is that. That's the net consequence of our attachment to desire or desire attachment to power. Right? And Syria is just one of you know. It could be, I could name fifty countries, and it's the same or two hundred however many countries there are, same process. So because, because the, it's because that force is so powerful. Right? And I'm sure my friend, like, you know, some part of him knew, you know, I know this is not really going to do it, but I don't care because <laughs> I want them anyway, <laughs> right? So sometimes we ignore our better judgment because we just want, you know, we like pleasure. And, you know, in a retreat, as you know, it can be slightly sensory deprivation depriving. So that part of the mind that's, that's somewhat undeveloped or uncultivated, a little crude, you could say, like, I'm going to get it, and I don't care whether this is stupid. I don't care if people judge me. And, you know, <laughs> so it's just a powerful force, right? It's what runs, you know, what the Buddha said, that the cycle of samsara is that wanting mind, right? We take, we, we take birth in um, belief over and over again, this is going to do it. And then this is going to do it. Well, if I just get this house, and then if I just have my 401k just like this, or I just have you know, this amount of children, you know, I know again, all these things are fine themselves. It's the bind around them that's, that, that's painful. Right? It's fine to have you know, many beautiful things in life, family and houses and cars, or whatever it is, but what's the relationship to it? Right? And you, so you can't judge someone by, their, by the appearance Someone might have a lot of stuff and whatever, possessions, and you might think, oh, that person's just very you know, full of desire. Maybe not. Maybe they're incredibly generous and they don't care and they give a lot of it away. We don't know from the outside. But we can know from the inside how much grip there is. Right? And, we, and we can see, again, the, the retreat is a microcosm, meditation is a microcosm for life. So we, we can feel the grip about... Um, you know, our walking place, you know, or getting our tea in the morning, you know, or whatever our thing is, you know. And it's the same principle. It's like that. It's, yeah. So it's humbling to feel how powerful that is. And I imagine there's probably not a person in the room who hasn't done something they regret because they really wanted something and they went for it and it was at the expense of other people. Right? We all do that on some level, Small or large, because right? we get gripped, very compulsive. Right? Look at addiction. 
right? the, the, the prevalence of addiction. Same force, it's the compulsion of desire. Right? It also becomes physiological at that point. But. So we want to really have a lot of respect for that, for that force right? and to not judge it, right? and not to judge others because we, we all have that tendency. And we want to relate to it with wisdom, with kindness, with compassion. Because right? when we're in the grip of it, like when my friend was in the grip of donuts, he probably knew that that was painful, right? <laughs> and a little silly and painful, right? But gripped, right? And we all get gripped by stuff, right? So we want to be compassionate with the grip, but also bring wisdom to it and go, oh, is this... You know, the Dalai said something really interesting. He said, if you're going to hurt somebody, do it mindfully. Right? It's just really interesting things. like, what? I'm saying hurt people. He wasn't saying hurt people, but if you are going to do something unskillful, act out something. Do it mindfully, because you know, because if you do it mindfully, you can't quite fully get behind it, and you you have to feel the painfulness of it. Right. So when I'm working with people addiction, you know, like I'll have people like I've worked with someone who had a potato chip addiction. I said, great. Go to the store. Be super mindful. Like taking all the bags of chips. Get the biggest bag you can, go home and sit down in your meditation cushion and eat them one at a time, mindfully, really slowly. Right? And after certain points, it's like, it's disgusting. You know? <laughs> and actually that, that particular time, she was able to let it go. Right? So do it mindfully and we see the painfulness of the grip or whatever. I'm not sure what you mean by the ambivalence. Right. bigger frame, the bigger context of the whole practice and the path is we're cultivating the wholesome, the skillful, and releasing the unwholesome, unskillful, right? So that, that's the basic orientation. We're cultivating wholesome, skillful uh, states of mind and heart, right? Clarity, kindness, peace, forgiveness, patience, acceptance, love, mindfulness, etc., and releasing the, the, the tendencies that cause pain. Right? Greed, grasping, fear, hatred, anxiety, selfishness, etc., etc. Right? So there, there isn't, the, I'm not sure if you, what you mean by ambivalence, but there's two layers to the levels to the process. One is we're simply, from the perspective of awareness, we're simply being present to the whole show. 
whether it's beautiful, joyful, happy, sad, pleasant, unpleasant, we're just noticing, 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 feeling, being with, being with, being with, letting go, letting go. That's the sort of the, the ground, right? And we yet within that, there's also an orientation to uh, inclining towards and cultivating the positive, wholesome qualities and releasing the painful, uh, reactive qualities. Right? So both are true. Both, both, we're orienting to both at the same time. And sometimes it can feel confusing because one, at one moment we're saying, just be with experience. Another time we're saying, well, no, cultivate love and release the reactivity. Both are true, right? So we're both being with, and at the same time there's an orientation or an inclination towards knowing what brings wholesome well-being and what uh, interferes with it, and we're cultivating one and releasing the other. So there's, but there's both a sort of a, a receptive quality of just being with experience, and there's also an active side. Right? And so at times there's some discernment about when we're doing one or the other. Right? So mostly in the mindfulness practice, we're emphasizing being with, noticing, observing, right? and allowing experience to be as it is. The meta practice is clearly a cultivation of, of you know, heartful qualities, for example. Right? So, but even in the context of mindfulness practice, where we're mostly just being with, <clears throat> we're also cultivating clarity and letting go and patience and persistence and curiosity. Right? So it's both. And I, I hope, is that speaking to your question? <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That that is an option. That's always an option, right? But ultimately, so that, so that but the bigger view, right? As I say, the foundation is just being with what is, like again, being present to what is, right? And we're also being, you know, so the the the, the Pali word, this is the from the word language of the text, satipanya, right? Mindfulness wisdom, right? So it's not just being mindful, we're also being wise and responsive, right? So mind, being, you, you could, so you could, three options, right? One is just walk and get wet. Two, you walk, you get wet, and you get really pissed off and reactive and hate everything, right? Three is you, you're noticing it's wet, you put a jacket on, you get an umbrella, and you're responding appropriately, right? Mindfulness supports an appropriate response to the moment, Right? So it's not just walk all around all day and get wet. Right? You could, but that's not very wise. Right? And the point, again, is, as I talk about this movement from suffering to freedom, right? from reactivity to happiness, right? we're also doing what supports happiness, right? genuine happiness. Right? So reactive response was, oh, it's raining, I'm, I don't have the right jacket, I'm going home. Right? That doesn't create well-being long-term. But, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm insufficiently dressed. I'll talk to the managers. I'll get an umbrella. I'll not go out in the, in the rain. I'll wait, you know. So we're, so we're wise in response to stuff, right? We're not a doormat. We're not passive, actually. There's, there's, there's responsiveness when we need it, right? And if it's a little missed, and part of it's like, oh, I don't really want to get wet, but it's not a big deal, then we let go of our... Mm, 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 
I'm just out. It's just, it's just a little, little moisture. It's not a big deal. We'll dry off in five minutes. Right? So we deal with the unpleasantness. That we can be with. Right? But if we're going to get soaked, there's no, no value in getting soaked if you don't need to, <laughs> unless you want to, because <laughs> you've been in California for five months and you just want to feel what it likes to be wet. <laughs> and that's all other story. <laughs> you see what I mean? So that's a really important point. It's, 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 it's a wise response. Right? We're cultivating wisdom and, and what's skillful in the moment. And that's why we have umbrellas around. <laughs> it's raining, put an umbrella up. If you don't have one, then you figure out what's, you, what's most useful. Okay, good. All right, so it is raining. Sorry, we have to um, we maybe do it in a group. Are you in a group today? I think you are. No? Okay. Um, so it is raining. So in terms of walking meditation, there are some umbrellas. Um, and there is a walking meditation room downstairs. It's likely to get quite cozy in there. Um, other options for walking meditation, you can, um, if you don't have an umbrella or you don't want to walk in the rain, uh, in, the, in the halls, the residence halls, you know, in the corridor, it's nice to do walking meditation. There's at least two people can be on each floor. Um, you can also walk in the dining room, just between the tables. Also a lovely place to walk. There'll be more sounds. So you just, or you're, walking, you're working with sounds as well as the walking practice. Um, in in the, the woods out there, you're mostly under the trees. It's dripping, but it, you're not quite directly in the rain. So there's some options. Um, you could, there's a few people could do walking at the sides here, but not many. Um, and the other option is you could do a standing meditation, just like we did when I was giving the walking instructions on the first day, and we just stood. You just stand and continue your practice. So a few options. Other than that, the schedule is the same today. Um, so the people that we met with in groups the first day will be having groups today. So please check the board for your, uh, for your groups. And Karen is meeting with people one-on-one today. And other than that, enjoy the rain and enjoy your practice. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.